0: This is Kevin Lavelle, and you're listening to Founders 15. You know what the world needs? Another business podcast. Well, actually, maybe it does. See, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, many of which were truly great. I learned a lot and had takeaways that changed my business or personal life. But I often noticed there was no commonality between the interviews as they were wide-ranging. So it was harder to tease out themes between them. I launched Mizzen and Main to bring advanced performance fabrics to traditional menswear. So just like deciding the world needed a better dress shirt when everyone said it was crazy, I decided to launch Founders 15. Founders 15 is a unique new discussion experience distinct in three specific ways. The conversations will be founder to founder, eliciting an enlightening back and forth of two people with an overlap rarely found in other interviews. In my position as founder of Mizzen and Main, I've gotten to have extraordinary conversations with other founders, and I know that there are takeaways that a lot of people would benefit from. So episodes will also feature the same 15 main questions in each podcast, helping bring a continuity to these discussions, with appropriate probing on key themes as they develop throughout the interview. Perhaps most distinctively, I'm focused primarily on founders building something right now, and not just the billion-dollar unicorns that get the headlines every day. These interviews feature real people building real businesses today. Business titans from years ago offer much to learn from, but my focus is on those in the heart of their journey to build something great. To keep things particularly interesting, I'll also be interviewing a few well-known athletes and coaches, founders in their own right, to gain additional insight and inspiration as to what it takes to achieve greatness. Would love to hear any feedback anytime. I'm on Twitter at Kevin S. And I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I've enjoyed having them. If you've been paying attention to the apparel industry in the last few years, you've likely seen Faraday at every turn, and that's no accident. Alex and Mike Faraday are twin brothers who have the incredible journey of taking a lifelong dream and turning it into reality in their namesake brand. Mike spent his career at Ralph Lauren while Alex went into the business and finance route. Six years ago, they came back together to launch Faraday to tap into their evolving perspective on a casual surf lifestyle and the lack of brands that catered to that customer. Today, they have four of their own stores, a strong presence online, and are in 250 of the country's top retail locations. There were some pretty incredible stories that Alex shared, including launching their website while on a surf trip in Puerto Rico, to being one of the first direct-to-consumer brands to launch a catalog several years ago, and the risk and reward that that involved. There's a lot to unpack throughout the episode, but if I could call one thing out to pay attention to throughout the discussion, it's the incredible sense of authenticity throughout every single part of Faraday's story as a brand and what Mike, Alex, and Alex's wife, Carrie bring to the table every day. Why has Faraday become so popular in such a tough industry with so many brands doing so many different things? Well, it's their authenticity and their extraordinary product. Alex and Carrie run their social media on Instagram at Faraday Brand. So shoot them a note, give them a follow, or go check out their awesome products the first chance that you get. Alex, really glad to be on Founders 15 with you today. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself and about what you're building.
1: Sure. So um, Alex Faraday, I am six years into... Uh, running and founding a company that I started my twin brother called Verity, uh, which is a clothing brand that we initially discussed and talked about when we were 17 years old. And kind of fast forward, we launched the brand 15 years later uh, in our right around right around when we turned 30. And they, they kind of, you know, it's sort of one of those lifelong dreams. It's something that my brother, Mike wrote his college essay uh, when he was 18 on starting the brand. And for whatever reason, we had wanted clothing brand was kind of in our destiny, and a lot of the the reason it was was we um, we were kids who grew up on the beach in New Jersey, surfer kids, and that was in the '90s was like the hype of surf brands. Um, you know, the names like Quicksilver and Billabong and Rip Curl like was such a big part of I think the American clothing discussion for people across the country, like not just people on the coasts. And we kind of found ourselves as we got a little bit older in high school and my parents moved us to New York city. So we actually lived in the city of New York, um, and went shopping in New York and being like, wow, these clothes are really nice, but none of these clothes really kind of fit my kind of casual outdoor beachy style that I had. And then as I got older, the, the surf brands got younger and didn't really evolve to kind of, as we got a little bit older and wanted nicer clothes and, you know, clothes that you could kind of wear as you got older after work on the weekends, um, and we just kind of had this issue where we weren't super preppy. We weren't super contemporary. We kind of had a little bit of that, you know, surf beach vibe mixed with, you know, some, you know, nicer clothes that you might find at a New York City department store and just kind of couldn't find the clothes that we wanted to wear. And that was like our problem. And, you know, it's kind of sounds like simple and but like when you're going shopping and you can't find the clothes you want to wear, you're like, you know, I got to you know, I got to make these, we got to figure out how to do it. And fortunately I have a twin brother, Mike, who studied fashion in college, worked at Ralph Lauren for eight years as a designer and really cut his teeth doing that. And I think that was all part of the plan. Like Mike was going to be the designer. He was going to be the visionary and I was going to run the the business side of things. I think we're, we're identical twins. So when you have an identical twin, you kind of spend most of your life with the same person living in the same bedroom, having the same friends playing one-on-one against each other that I think we didn't know what else we would do besides one day having our own company together. Um, and I was the brother who like saved money and worried about him and hoarded things. <laughs> you know, Mike was like the creative one who was always like, you know, never worried about anything, always got in trouble, party too much. Um, <laughs> and so it was like an interesting dynamic. Like I was going to be, the, I was kind of the, always the one who kind of took care of him. Uh, and it was funny, like even in our twenties, like you know, I'm I I decided to go work in finance uh, since I was going to be the business side of things and trying to learn learn as much as I could about business accounting, finance, operations. So I worked in investment banking for two years and then in private equity for about five years um, before I left to kind of start this with Mike. And you know, it's I was you know I was the one who was going to deal with all this this stuff he didn't want to deal with and. Deal with the money and all that and it and you know it's kind of this like perfect relation this perfect relationship where we're twins who you know have a, a genetic bond together plus our interests and the things we like to do and we're good at are totally different yeah um and complement each other really well so it kind of creates this this cool team environment between mike and i that you know when we launched it, i didn't know how well we would work together but we have this thing where we're you know, we're like perfect business partners. We, we get along, we think about things similarly, but differently in the right way. We respect each other and what he brings to the business and what I bring to the business. And, um, you know, so that's like, you know, a match made in heaven from a partnership perspective, which I'm super fortunate about.
0: Um, very cool. And where, where's home base for you guys today? So we are based in New York, uh,
1: in lower Manhattan and the Tribeca area. We both moved to move to New York city after college and started working here so we sort of haven't left um and i think that's a lot of like you know growing up in the city and living in the city in your 20s and i think that was a lot of you know clothing and what people wear are important in new york and i think that probably pushed us even more to to want to do this i think if we were in another city we may not have been you know it's, new york's the fashion capital of the world we, we may not have been inspired but being in new york like you can't not think about what you wear and how you look it's such a big part of the culture here Um, so it's been really helpful.
0: So, um, at the, it's really cool to hear. This is the idea that you guys have had since you were 17. When did you say to your brother, we're going to make this happen. And uh, obviously the, the, um, identity of the brand is very much tied up in you guys and, and the style that you would like, but how did you decide to make those first prototypes, those first samples when did that happen? And then what made you say, we're all in, let's go ahead and launch this? What, what were some of the things that happened between those points in time?
1: I think, you know, you get to that, we got to that point where I think Mike got, got to that point first where at Ralph Lauren, he had just designed season after season, collection after collection for someone else. Um, and I think, you know, as a designer, you get to the point where you're like, I, I want to do it my way. And I want to make the clothes I want to wear. And that happened um, in 2012, in January 2012. We had been talking about it in our 20s. And at some point, January 2012, Mike was um, New Year, like after New Year's, was driving in the desert in California. And, you know, it was just like the right song came on and the energy was right. And he was just like, you know, I'm done. I'm going to do it. Um, And he called (laughs) me, like, right after that and was like AF like I'm ready we're doing this and I was like let's do it. you know I was like uh, you know let's go like I'm in um, and I you know I helped I, I you know he left his job to start working on this and you know he had the creative uses flowing I helped for a year kind of fund, fund the startup um, come in when I could you know with my other job like on the weekends we rented this little 150 square foot art studio in the union square area of new york so mike kind of had that as a little office i would come in after work on the weekends it was like my passion project and um you know i think the next january came mike had been working on you know some product development and getting the brand together and um you know i just saw like the passion that he had and how excited he was about his job and i was you know kind of grinding it out in my in my finance job and you know, I gotta got got to the point where you know I was like I gotta like go with Mike every day like I can't go to my office job anymore and like I'm willing to like I know I'm not gonna, we're not gonna make any money and it's not about money. It was just like I wanted to be passionate and love what I was doing every day and I wasn't getting that out of out of my job and I was getting that on the weekends and after work you know working with Mike and you know my wife was super supportive and you know I was just like life is too short like I gotta love what I do and you know we're all in and that happened kind of right around february of 2013 a lot of it was like i was traveling a ton for work i wasn't loving it Uh, i was going international like not sleeping enough and i was just like and i wasn't loving what i was doing and so that moment came mike had been working on it for a year and i was like mike can't do this without me and so kind of february 2013 i quit my job i remember that first those first three weeks before we actually launched the company commercially was like the three happiest weeks of my life because it's just like that freedom that experience of like i've been wanting to do this and like we finally did it and then like you start the company like oh my god this is so hard (laughs) like what did what did i get my hand like what did i just do
0: yep yeah this amazing feeling of freedom and then you realize what's surrounding you on every Uh, side
1: oh shit (laughs)
0: yes exactly i love it um so when you guys launched um can you just share a little bit about those initial days, um, selling yourselves, looking at trying to sell through retailers, balancing online. Um, you have obviously a a really amazing set of stores. You guys, um, have a pretty phenomenal distribution network. Your website's great, but that's today at the beginning. How did you approach selling Faraday product?
1: So I think we, we were like, we wanted to get very grassroots with it and we wanted to get like we really wanted to f- figure it out from scratch. Um, so a couple things. First off, we decided we just wanted to launch with one product in our, you know, through a website. So we only launched with men's and women's swimwear, like you know, two styles of uh, shorts with a couple different prints. Couple of different styles of bikinis with a couple of different prints, and kept it very, very focused with the idea that we would launch it around creating the brand and a little tiny bit of product, such that we could learn the business before we, you know, created too many things and did too much. Um, and and then what we did was we built a mobile store. So we basically built a like a house on wheels that opens up into a store uh, with a friend of ours who's a builder in New Hampshire and a guy that Mike went to college with who's an architect in San Francisco. And we kind of teamed up with them to be like, let's create this traveling retail experience. I think some of it was like, you know, you started to see food trucks happening and we're like, let's do a, you know, a mobile store unit thing. Um, So we launched the website. We actually decided that when we launched the company, we were going to go to Puerto Rico to our favorite surf uh, area, which is um, near Aguadilla, which is the airport near Rincon, Puerto Rico. And we surfed in the morning launched the website at two o'clock. So spent like between like 9am and 2pm holed up in this little apartment in, um, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, getting the website launched. And it was like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it from a place we'd love to be launched awesome. the website. Um, had no idea what we were doing, you know, just got the product on there, started selling it. And then what we did when we got back home from the Puerto Rico trip was we went on the road for about two months and we went from New Jersey to San Francisco and stopped in like 30 different cities across the country and had planned this kind of roadshow where we did events um, at retail stores, in parking lots, at music festivals, like anywhere and anything we could do just to meet people, get some product feedback, get on the road and, you know, just kind of get things moving. And we went from there. and We went to a house in Montauk, New York and did the same thing all summer with our mobile store, kind of like in our backyard, had parties Um and just like, you know, at that point, we didn't really have much product to sell. We didn't have much of a business, but we we're like, every day, let's interact with as many people as we can, introduce them to the brand, sell them the few products that we have. And then that summer of 2013, we launched our wholesale, our first wholesale collection, where we actually built other products outside of just swimwear. And we did, you know, tops and bottoms and shorts and kind of a whole collection. And we launched that to retailers. Um, and I think you never know, like, what what's going to happen your first season that you sell product to retailers. Unfortunately. Um, you know, we, we hustled around and got some good, you know, introductions and connections and we were able to, um, almost 50 different retailers picked up our, picked up our brand, including Nordstrom's and Barney's, um, and Fred Siegel and some other really cool international accounts, you know, and it was like, holy, you know, holy crap. Like we went from having this mobile store business and this online, small little online business to like in six months from now, we're going to be in the best retailers in the world. Like now we really have to figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, and that's when it got really hard. Um, traveling and selling is like that is innate to me, but like operating and running a, a you know a supply chain and a distribution business and a marketing business was like a whole nother world. And like finance did not train me for that. And Mike is a designer, Ralph Lauren. Like you're siloed as a designer. Like all you got to do is design things. Like a lot of the world of building a business and operating is like was far removed from what we ever knew. And it was just like basically learning from scratch how to run a business. Um, and we knew we had a, you know, almost a million dollars worth of orders that we had to fulfill and get made and we're small. And like, what do we do? And it was just like, you know, it was like trench warfare. What would you,
0: (laughs) trench warfare, I like that description. What would you, uh, I mean, your, your style, your aesthetic, your brand is so strong. And so I would, I would assume that's it, but what would you attribute wholesalers, so um, significantly embracing you so early on? Because a lot of people assume I'll just go to trade shows and people will pick me up. It's rarely that simple. And obviously you guys, your road show and your backgrounds prepared you for that moment. But would you say there were any specific things about either that collection or how you approached those retailers or how you prepared for those first shows where you did see so much success? What was it in your mind that really enabled you to see so much success in such a tough industry pretty early on?
1: I think, you know, two, two things. I think the, and I would probably wait on like 50, 50, like product was important, but I think just as important was like, here are two brothers, lifelong dreams selling their brand. Um, and you start realizing that any, everything and anything that you do in bit, like in business is a people, there's a people aspect to it. And, you know, meeting with the Nordstrom's team and like then meeting Mike and I and being like, this is what we want to do our whole life. This is what we want to put our heart and soul into. And like, we're going to do everything we can to make this business successful. Like means a lot, even though we had never made or sold a product. Um, it was just like that handshake and like, we're going to give it everything we got. This is what we want to do the rest of our lives. You know, goes a long way as like the trust piece of it versus like, Hey, here's an idea we came up with to make a bunch of money. Like that was (laughs) not the pitch. Um, and I think the second thing is on from the product perspective, which is like, you know, having a point of view and, you know, we went after, you know, at that time, which was 2013, it was when contemporary product was very, very relevant in department stores. Um, so like Vince, Rag & Bone, um, you know, black and gray and and mono, you know, mono colors um, was the rage. I think we brought to it this kind of like classic American you know, surf, you know, 60s inspired surf capsule that had some fashion to it, had some color to it, was like a little bit of what regular guys wear versus like, you know, New York and LA hip contemporary clothing. And so I think it was like, you know, it was like, wow, this is like kind of a brand that has the surf roots, but it's going after a designer, you know, fabrications and a designer price point um, that wasn't necessarily served. So we were kind of doing, we were like, do in the past, everything that looked that it had an outdoor or a surf aesthetic was going after Macy's and PacSun and, you know, it was all about commodity and mass market. And I think we were like, hey, we're going to take that look, mix it with a little bit of Ralph Lauren that Mike grew up with and go after creating like using Japanese fabrics and, you know, you, you know using some of the best, you know, the best mills and factories in the world to, to create that product. Versus like, we're going to create the cheapest, less expensive product because we're going after what Quicksilver or, you know, uh, outdoor brands are doing. Like we were just a different look for that customer. And I think that even today, fast forward, people are like, wow, like, you know, I think of casual clothing and I think of like, you know, what I would buy in REI or what I would buy in a surf shop. And like, I see your clothes in like, you know, stores where you can buy like, $5,000 $5,000 Italian suits like it's cool like that's actually the clothes I want to wear like I don't want to wear $5,000 Italian suits um, you know so it's, yep. it, it's that I guess point of view and then the relationship side of things and even now today like people who like our brand and purchase our brand a lot of it is because like they know they're getting the product that Mike and I are designing and we have our fingertips on and our hands on everything that we do as a company
0: that I think is a perfect time or perfect opportunity to hop into, uh, the culture. There's so much about Faraday's, obviously, um, Mike and Alex, but how do you, uh, that's the aesthetic of the brand. How do you translate that into your culture every day at your offices and your stores?
1: You know, it's a good question. Um, I think it starts with, you know, like, You know, when you have a like having a family business, our name is on it, right? Every interaction that someone has with our brand, whether that's an employee or a customer in our store, right, is some level of um it's related to us as people. So the stakes are actually even are super high for us in everything that we do because it's like, oh, that's the Faradies, if like, oh, employee hates working here or Um, people had a really bad experience in the store. Like it sort of like reflects really poorly on us. Um, And so I think it's like this, this view that like the people that you hire and we go through like crazy amount of vetting when we hire people because it's so important that those things are connected or else like the brand suffers um, because our name is on it. So things like, um, you know, it's things like, there's no yelling, you know, there's no, um, it's no finger pointing here at at our company. Like it's a, you know, work hard, have fun, get shit done. Um, but enjoy coming to work every day. I think that's something that why one of the main reasons I wanted to start this business was like, I kind of got sick of not like going to work. I was like, I gotta do this every day and I don't like it. Like this kind of is, this is not, this is not what I want to do with my life. And I think now like I want to love coming to work every day and I want the people who work for us to have that same feeling because you, I'm only going to love coming to work every day if the people that I work with every day love coming to work together too. Yep. Um, so that's super, super important to Mike, Carrie, and I. And I think like there's three of us who run the business, Mike and I and my wife, Carrie. Um, you know, she comes from like, from a completely different background than Mike and I. She has training in mindfulness and and human rights law and like thinks about the world in a different way than Mike and I do. So it's a good yin and yang. Um, you know, we have meditations every morning at our, at our, you know, our team meetings, um, you know, and it's just like this culture where people can be honest and transparent and all that, um, super helpful to us. And then I think on the store side, that is where training. So we have seven retail stores, um, two in New York, Two in Southern California, two in Massachusetts, um, and one more in Sag Harbor, which is in the Hamptons. And I think it's just training. It's I interview and hire everyone still, and my wife Carrie interviews and hires everyone still too. So like, you know, when we hire people, we tell them like this is what we expect of you, and this is the type of person we want to hire. And you know, we don't always hire the best person who we think is going to make the most money like we hire the person that we think is going to be the right fit um, and the right kind of brand ambassador uh but we probably spend half of our time thinking about people um and who we hire and how we train them and how they're doing and like i never thought in a million years when i started this company that that is how much time you would spend on it but what what i've realized is like i at night the things that keep me up is not so much like are we hitting our sales it's like Why is this person not thriving? What can we do better? Um, You know, I'm like, I think we're all like, the three of us are very um, connected to that. And I think when you're like, hey, I want to do this the rest of, like we've kind of made this decision. Like we want to do this the rest of our life. Like this company is not for us to like, hey, we're going to like create a cool concept and sell it Mm -hmm. and make a bunch of money on it. Like this is a lifetime. So it's like every decision we make with people is like, I want these people to work with us forever if they're the right person. So taking that long-term approach to it, um, but people's tough. It's, I'm sure for you too, Kevin, like it's the never, you know, you never, you never are great at it. You know, you're always getting better at managing people and hiring people and you make mistakes and you learn from them. Uh, And that's, that's all we can do is make, you know, learn from our mistakes and, you know, keep upping the communication and the transparency and giving people clear goals and expectations
0: and, um, but Yeah not easy. It's, it's absolutely the most rewarding part of running a business from the ground up and absolutely the most challenging. You talk about wanting to do this for the rest of your life um, and making those early investments early on. How long did you go in the beginning of the business for several years um, where you were kind of funding that business and not really paying yourself anything close to what you were making? And it may still not be there, but um, <laughs> Compared to the private equity world, I'm always curious to hear about kind of those early years for founders, um, and I think it's helpful perspective for others.
1: Yeah. So we, um, so for the first year before we really started selling product, we um, I funded the business, and then right when right like as we launched, we raised some money from friends and family to yep. kind of help with our first inventory purchase. Yep. Um, you know, help us afford a little bit of office space. Um, kind of the bare minimum, just like proof, you know, proof of concept. And Mike, Carrie, and I all moved in together. So my wife, Carrie, and then my twin brother, Mike, so we all moved in together into um, a two bedroom apartment. And we were like, we were like, we're gonna hunker down. And um, I think the you know, the first the first year, I mean, we didn't really pay ourselves at all the first year, Um, I think the second year, you know, we made like 35 or $40,000.
0: Which is a whole um, lot in New York.
1: Yeah, yeah, it goes a far, it goes a long way. But we all live together, and you know, yeah. like, I probably ran out of money at some point after a year and a half. Yeah, uh, kind of went through all my savings. You know, maxed out credit cards. Um, my credit score went to like six hundred. You know, like credit score went to crap. We started, you know, like we started to like to make money on the side. We would we would Airbnb our apartment, and like drive to my mom's house who lives an hour and a half away like just because we could you know we could make more money airbeaming our apartment than we could you know running our business uh and it was stressful like it was hard you know you kind of have um you know you owe people money because you're growing and you're trying to manage your payables with you know your receivables that are coming in and the cash that's coming in it's sort of this like really stressful thing that uh i loved and i hated i loved like you know squeezing as much juice out of the lemon and like we were seeing some really good success but it's like like you know you know our business like scale is really important and until you get to scale like it is really hard to make any money and you know to make a sustainable business so we um we grinded it out those first three years and um you know still lived together until basically 2000 right before our daughter was born um like three months before my daughter was born in March of 2016. Um, you know, we finally stopped living together and Carrie and I started our family with our daughter, but like, but that's like, we spent so much time together. We learned so much together. Um, you know, I wouldn't take that away that experience. And I think that experience taught us, you know, I think there's some other companies who start today and they, they go on the market and they start raising money and raising money and, um, you know those first three years of, of figuring out this business like really taught us how to make money go further and how to make a business work that's in a really tough industry and business and like I think that's the thing about a family business is like we could trust each other we were in it together like no matter what we were gonna make it work um, so yeah I think that cut probably yeah it was hard it sucked but I'm happy it's over. I'm happy it's over. <laughs> yeah.
0: There there is something. There is something very, um, important about that time. And you, I I feel like you have to have it, um, to really appreciate moving forward. Um, but it's also something you don't necessarily want to do again, for sure. So, um, I, I think I might know the answer, um, but I, I won't, I won't say this directly yet. Who most inspired you on the journey to start your company? And that could be a personal connection or famous.
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, um you know what's funny like cultural like you know we cultural references are important so like a lot of my job now is you know is sort of being a coach to some extent and um like coach taylor from friday night lights like i thought that character was amazing in that show um and i probably learned more about like because in finance you don't learn anything about like I learned nothing about managing people and like coaching people <laughs> like I probably learned more from watching *Friday Night Lights* and Coach Taylor, um, you know as far as like how he communicated with people and his, and his, um, and the kids how he communicated with his wife like he's very honest transparent open you know tough but fair um, gave people love when they needed it so it's funny like I didn't have that type of figure in my life um, you know my dad passed away. Um, when I was in my early twenties, I never really had a mentor at work who really, who I, you know, in my twenties, who really taught me, like I look back and like, I think coach Taylor was like my biggest, like fatherly coaching figure that I had. Um, and I played sports all through college, but I never had great, never had great coaches. So it's, it's funny how you said, and a celebrity like that would be my celebrity.
0: (laughs) That's really cool. I don't think I ever would have guessed that, but I love it. So with everything that you have going on, you (laughs) know, lived with uh, your brother and your wife in, a, in an apartment just before you had your own daughter um, what do you do to stay sane how, how how does alex Verity stay sane in the midst of all the mayhem
1: uh, exercise is numero uno um, is the most important thing um, exercise uh, I surf still a lot um, that is like the times I've been the darkest and like been the hardest for me is when I wasn't taking care of myself and my body like that is super super important to keep me sane um and the second thing is just like you know knowing when like when when you got to stop working and you have to like have a balance and i think that took me you know until my daughter was born to really understand that um and now i stay sane by spending a lot of time with my with my kids um i love it I'm fortunate I got a two and a half and a six month old and I like in the morning and when I get home, like just making sure those, those couple hours a day I get to spend with them or it's like without technology, it's without distraction. Um, it's just this like fun, mindless, you know, beautiful time that I get. Um, so between exercise and, and, and dad life, um, I'm the happiest I've ever been right now because of being a dad. Yep. And I wouldn't have thought that before I had kids. So, uh, I am super lucky.
0: It's funny. where in, in so many respects on the, the same path. Miz and Maine is six years old. I have an almost two year old and a daughter due in two months. So, um, there, there's a, uh, there, there's a lot of similarities there and, and couldn't agree more. It's the most rewarding experience many times over to be a dad. Um, but it also took a lot to, uh, kind of make sure that I reset my priorities early on to, um, to really be able to focus on that. Cause there's so many distractions all the time. So when you think about, um, I think you mentioned sometimes, you know, you just got to step back and, and unplug for a little bit. If you could, um, get away for a full month, um, and everything would be okay at the office. Um, it's a little bit tougher because I'm sure you'd want to be with your, your brother and wife as well. So let's just pretend all is okay. Um, back uh, at HQ, what would you do for a full month away?
1: Um... I mean I, I would go – I would go to Bali um, and surf for one month and live there. I've been there. I went there in 2008 for three weeks uh, and it was the best three weeks of my life. Uh, so I would absolutely go back there. I mean there's something like – you know, surfing is one of those interesting sports where it's it's physically – like it's physical plus it's a little bit spiritual plus it's athletic. Um, it's hard and like, the, you know, the feeling you have of like surfing all day and then, you know, having a great dinner, like it's that, you know, you get all the endorphin rush of, of exercise plus being outside and in the ocean and the water. Like it's, it's the, it's my, you know, my favorite thing to do. Unfortunately, I, I learned, I learned as a kid, it's a, it's a, almost an impossible sport to pick up when you get older. Um, so yeah, I'd go to Bali hands down.
0: I was, uh, doing a little bit of surfing last week in Southern California and, Um, Not only is it unbelievably in a way that unless you do it, you can't, you can't even imagine how physically demanding it is. It's so challenging from a technical perspective, even on small waves, just to figure out when to go and you can exert so much energy trying to catch something. And then miss it and then spend the next 15 minutes trying to get back through the break. It was a very humbling experience. It
1: looks so easy when you watch people do it. Yeah. You just stand up. There you go. You think it's like, Oh, that's like snowboarding. Yeah. Like no problem. It is like, there's so many different things you have to learn how to do and know how to do in a split second that unless you learn, like I started surfing when I was like, you know, eight, nine, 10, like very young. Didn't think like, unless you learn really young, it's really, really hard. Um, to figure it out as you get older. It's almost impossible. Like I, I know very few people who've been able to pick it up later in life. It's
0: a, it's a, it's a very uh, unique experience. Let's just say that there were more than a few times I just put my head on my board and just sat there (laughs) very depressed about my lack of ability to keep up. Um, and of course they, one of the guys that was with us was so good and he just made it look like so incredibly easy and he didn't seem fatigued at all. Um, but that's what happens when you've been doing it for most of your life. Um, so what would you say your biggest sacrifice personally has been over the last six years?
1: My friends, I have had very, very little time to spend with my friends and stay in touch with my friends from college and, and after. So that's definitely been something that, you know, in my twenties and in college, I was a super social person spent a lot of time with my friends. Uh, It's been tough not to really be able to be there for them in a lot of ways Um, and spend time with them and travel. you know, that's been the hardest. And, um, you know, things like, you know, wanting to go visit friends because I haven't seen them in years and spend weekends with their kids and family. Like, you know, I am fortunate. I work er almost every Saturday, so it just makes traveling really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, that's something that is hard. Um, and my friends, you know, my friends give me, give me crap for it and, and it hurts. Like, I wish I could spend more time with them.
0: Yeah. And then there's the constant struggle of, um, if you do spend time with them, you're missing time with your kids. And so that trade-off is a very hard one to make because if you've been traveling for a week and then you have something with your friends, you really miss your kids, not to mention your wife. Um, I'm, I'm, I, uh, my wife and I worked together for a number of years, um, and it, that made it a little bit easier with how how challenging work was um, because we did get to see each other during the day. But um, kids is a kids is a whole different ballgame. So when you look back, um, when when did you feel like things really started to take off? And and it could have been that that first big order um, when you got all those new wholesale accounts on board. But w- was there another time um, in the last few years where you felt like, man, things are really starting to click? this dream, this vision, I can see it coming to fruition. Not that there's an end, you know, there's no goal line, there's no end in sight, but this is something that's really happening and it's no longer a pipe dream that I'm hoping to still make a reality.
1: Yeah, I think two, you know, two things come to mind. The, in um, in the holiday of 2015, so about, you know, almost three years in, we did our first print catalog um, and we sent it out to... Fifty thousand people, um, predominantly, pros- you know, people who we we you know kind of marketed to that we thought would be potential buyers, and it was our first time we did it. It was fifty-two pages. You know, we did a whole photo shoot around it and kind of put our whole collection into a catalog and put it in the mail and like just sort of hope people would be interested in. It. And we ended up getting a really, really good response on it. And I think that was one of the moments where, like, okay, we now have figured out a way to to market to customers to get them interested in the brand. And that really helped change our profile of our online business. Um, and it's, it was like old fashioned, at no, the end of 2015, it wasn't, it was before all the direct to consumer brands were doing catalogs. Like, I don't even think Bonobos had done their first catalog yet. So it was like, people were like, what are you doing? Like no one does catalog. And I, I don't think it was for me, I, was, I you know, I started getting mail at home because I, you know, finally had an apartment. About to have a kid, and I was like getting mail, and I was like, "All these catalogs are terrible." Like, I think we can do one that people will really want to see. So that was one, and then um, in 2016, we ended up um, just really going for it, and we opened up um, in that course of that year. We opened up four retail stores between May and December. Uh, and we just grinded it and my mom does all of our interiors and all of our store design and we just leveraged her and we just completely went for it and signed leases without knowing how we were going to figure out how to build the stores and we got scrappy. We built all the fixtures ourselves um, and each one of those stores really worked out from the beginning and all of a sudden we went from you know having one little tiny store in New York to four additional stores in that end of that 2016. And we did it in like a really, really small budget, like 20 to $40,000 for three out of the four stores. Um, per store. Really, really, per store.
0: That's pretty, and pretty really, damn good. And
1: really, really, really scrappy. Um And we realized that like we did, we were doing good business w- without having to put a ton of money into the stores that, you know, if you give people the right product and enough TLC and, Give it some love. Um, that's all you need. So that was definitely something that we had. You know, I always had my mom to do that, but to really have her, um, you know, kind of push her to really develop, a, uh, a, you know, a, a pretty good size number of stores in a short period of time. And then, then we had all of a sudden all that revenue coming in every day um, where we weren't so, you know, the wholesale business just has a tough business cycle and that, you know, you, you ship product, you get your, you, you know, you bills get paid in 40 days or 45 days. And, you know, you don't know who your customer is. And it's just a different type of business than having your own retail stores and just seeing customers come in every day and seeing, you know, cash come in the bank. Um, so that really changed the profile of our business
0: for sure. So, um, are you guys pushing forward on more stores? Or are you seeing yeah. that as a, as a great opportunity for the we're business? Seeing
1: that, we're seeing that as an opportunity. Um, I think at the same time, like, you know, I almost killed my mom opening up all those stores that year that like, (laughs) you also know opening up stores is a ton of work. Um, It's a ton of human capital and, you know, the online business requires less human capital and is a little bit more scalable in some specific areas. So, you know, we've been focusing this past year a little bit more on our, on our online business. Um, But we also have the wholesale business. So I think for us, we try and keep the businesses, you know, equal, um, about each one, each one of them accounts for, you know, 40 percent online, thirty percent wholesale, thirty percent our own stores. So it's balanced, and I think that's kind of how we like it, where each business complements each other. Um, I mean, it's hard, you know, it was hard to do it that way, where like it was a lot of work building each one of those businesses up. But now that they've been around for a couple of years. Um, it feels good. Um, but it, pull, it pulls, it us in a lot of directions. Like, you know, some days I'm in wholesale, sometimes I'm in, in our stores. Some days I'm, I'm thinking about online customer acquisition. So it's a lot for us. You know, we only have about 30, 35 people in our company. So it's a lot to be thinking about, but I think it's like, I like the challenge. I like doing a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like fulfilled by that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you seem to be doing pretty damn well at it. So as you think about 10 years from today, you'll be 16 years into the business. Where do you see Faraday 10 years from now? And I know not having been in business for 10 years, it's kind of a silly question, but I, I love hearing people's takes on this kind of question.
1: So 10 years from now? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like what I'm doing now in 10 years, I'm going to be doing the exact same thing. Like, it's funny. I, I like... I didn't, like, I kind of have figured out, um, you know, that kind of special thing of, like, I love coming to work. I love what I do. Um, you know, I kind of feel like I'm going to be, I could see myself living in the same apartment I live in now, coming to this, like, coming to the same office, like, and my you know, the only difference will be my daughter's in, you know, my daughter's a freshman in high school. Um, and I think, like, because I'm happy with work and my relationship with you know, my brother and my wife is good. Um, like I don't need any more. Like just the fact that, you know, we're happy together and the company's doing well and we're enjoying it. Like that's the fortunate thing. Like, I don't think I need anything else. Like you kind of, I've kind of realized that, you know, like the financial success of the business, I don't even think about that anymore. Like I just more think about like creating a good sustainable business and people loving our product and creating a good customer experience. Um, so yeah, I I wish I had a better answer. Like I'm going to take a- over the world or I'm going to do this. And I'm I'm just like, I'm psyched where I'm at right now.
0: I don't think there's a better answer than that, Alex. You love what you do and you hope you're doing the same thing. That's that's as good as it comes. So knowing knowing how you feel today and all the challenges that you've overcome over the last six years, if you could tell yourself one thing back in 2012 with the perspective that you have today and hearing that answer that you want to still be doing the same thing 10 years from now because of how great this This feeling and this experience and how much you love what you do, all of those wrapped up. What would you tell yourself back in 2012?
1: I'm surprised. I've I've gotten asked a lot of questions since I started. That's like the first time I got asked that question. That is a really good question. Um,
0: (laughs) I feel like I'm doing something right. That's good.
1: You're doing something right. um, I would say if I look back on it, um, you know, it's like asking for help. Um, you know, I think it's like the first-time entrepreneurs' like dilemma is trying to figure everything out on your own, um, and you know, not including other people to help you make some tough decisions. And uh, I think you just kind of think people are too busy, and you know, I probably made some decisions I. I shouldn't have made and I, and I should have had more you know, i should have relied on other people to help me more i'm um, thinking like advisors or people i used to work with um i definitely like wanted to go through a lot of it on my own and and learn from it and i think that's just not an efficient way to to think about things and now I, i'm much better at like if i ever have a business problem like i just like cold call people and email people like, Kevin, I've, I've asked you a couple of times about things and you know, we're just getting to know each other, but I'm like, Hey, was this, did this marketing thing work? Like yep. did that work? Like, uh, and you're, you've been more than happy to answer that question. And most, almost everyone is more than happy to help. Um, and I didn't start doing that until, you know, a year or so ago. And I, and I should have started doing that earlier. And that's like great advice I'd give to, to myself back then is rely on other people. They want to help ask them questions don't feel like you have to go through it all on your own um and make every mistake
0: that's uh something i think we can probably remind ourselves every day even even many years in so um kind of along the same vein uh and it, it might be the same same response do you have a single biggest regret or or thing that you wish you would have done differently looking back over the last 6 years
1: you know what i think i i can honestly say like i have no real regrets. Um, you know, I think I feel really proud about, like, I feel really good about how we've built the business and how we've done things. I think, you know, the only thing is really like I probably like as I've gotten better at managing people and communicating with people. Like, I probably had some employees that work for me that I, I wasn't as good of a boss as I as I could have been uh, or a leader as I could have been, and you know, people probably didn't have as great of a work experience with me. Um, you know, that I, that I wanted them to have, but that's also like just me learning how to be a better manager. Um, but as far as business decisions and how we built the business and the people that we've worked with and the things we've done, like, you know, kind of no regrets. I think like fortunate thing is having Mike and Carrie and the three of us making a lot of these decisions, like, you know, different viewpoints and, you know, we can kind of bounce things off of each other. Um, you know, fortunately we, you know, we own, you know, we still own and operate the company, um, and we're in a great position to to kind of like keep doing this for a long time. Um, so yeah. So yeah, yeah. Fortunately, besides managing people and the regrets I have of not giving, you know, being a better boss to people, like business wise, uh, I feel good about what we've done.
0: So what brings you the most joy every day?
1: Well, I mean, I'm you know I'm so biased because I just the time I have with my daughter in the morning is is amazing. Um, so that gives me a ton of joy. Uh, I think outside of that is. Uh, I don't know. I like just like, like walking around the office at two o'clock and like seeing people, you know, communicating and talking and seeing like they're thriving in their workplace. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel like that's, I get a ton of satisfaction out of that. Um, it's
0: tremendously fulfilling.
1: Mike probably is more on the product. Like, I think that's where like Mike is like, he every day is thinking about the product side of things. I think I'm more thinking about the organization and, um, so it's a good yang and yang as far as how we're thinking about it, but just like people being productive and, and, and energized and happy and, um, you know, them helping to fulfill our mission and the things we want to do. Um, you know, I'm like a people first type of person. So that probably gives me the most joy.
0: So as you talk about, um, walking around the office and getting to see everybody in their element, how about uh, a moment that that you have really stepped in it. What's your most embarrassing professional moment? Most, you said most embarrassing what? Professional moment. Your most embarrassing professional moment.
1: It's hard to say that there's one moment, but I think we have it, you know, that's, I think the top thing about, I think any, any business and any, like every entrepreneur's dilemma is like, it's so embarrassing when people have like product quality issues. Um, and you know, things just didn't work out for whatever reason for that specific product. And as much as you, you know, you 100% try to make everything perfect, like button, a button every once in a while can fall off. Um, And, you know, it's like, it's, you know, people, it's like, people are like, it just looks terrible. It gives people a bad experience. Um, And, you know, you take it so personally and it, it just is really embarrassing. Like, and we get it constantly all the time. Like, that is, like, a really hard part about this business is, like, you're going to have issues and people are not going to be 100% happy and, you know, it's like, oh, you are you know, this happened on my shirt, you know, like, and they get pissed and they get angry and I get angry and I get pissed and I don't want that to happen. I want us to get better. I want us not to have those issues but, you know, it's, it's almost inevitable that you're going to get some issues here and there um, and it sucks and it's just the... It's the the tough part about our business that we're in.
0: Yep. And and you feel like that is embarrassing because it's a reflection of you as a person and the company you're leading. Yeah,
1: for sure. Right, like oh, this Faraday thing didn't work out. Like those guys don't know what they're doing, or like it's not a good company. Yeah. Um, And people can, you know, we put so much heart and soul into it, and our team puts so much heart and soul in everything that they do. And you know, for one person to have a you know a bad experience and think poorly on the company because of you know something that was kind of out of our control like you know the tension on the on the needle for the middle button just wasn't where it needed to be and like even though we go through rigorous quality control like you just can't pick up everything right um that it reflects poorly on the business and you know just it's a you know it's something you gotta deal with you get you know i definitely have gotten thicker skin for it but you know it still keeps us up at night it still still ruins our day
0: you know it you do want that perfect experience for every customer, but sometimes it, I just have to step back and go, some people just have somewhat unreasonable expectations from time to time. Like with the level of anger that some of our customers have written in about, you know, exactly that, a button fell off or there was a stain on the shirt. And it's like, I, we're of course going to make it right for you. And then some, because we, you know, that's our fault, but we're making hundreds of thousands of garments, you know, every quarter and... A couple things are going to slip through, and I promise I'm going to make it right for you. But I hope I hope we have not ruined your day because of that. Um,
1: yes, yeah, so just you know, go into you know, go into damage control, do whatever you can for that customer, yeah. and it keeps pushing us to like, what 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 happened here that we can make sure doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I I'm confident I know the answer to this. The the question is, do you expect to be doing this for your whole life? And let me just change it a little bit and say. At what point in time in your life of running Faraday do you expect things to change? Um, uh, it sounds to me like you hope eventually your kids work in this business, given how much of a family business it is. Do you do you expect a time where you'll maybe step into a different role and and let some other family members kind of take more of the reins, or um, you have you haven't thought about that part yet?
1: Um, I mean, I think it's like the family part of it that would be awesome, uh, but you know, obviously there would be no pressure. I think I, I can, I, I definitely have my hands in a lot of different things and it's not always super efficient for everyone that my hands are in everything. Um, so there's probably some specific areas where like I can hire someone who's better at it than I am because um, I still I still have my hand in a lot of different things. So sure. I, I, I can see myself getting a little bit out of the day-to-day um, of everything that would happen and I think that would give me more time to think about like the overall organization and like how we get better Big picture wise, because um, I do spend a ton of time day to day still on some of the nitty gritty stuff, which I love to do. It's just I don't know if that is a, the best use of my time.
0: And to close out the serious questions, how do you want to be remembered?
1: Um, just in life, just
0: sure uh, across uh, life across business, I, however yeah, you I mean, however you interpret it.
1: I think I have like a, I definitely have something inside of me that wants me to push me to really know everything about a subject matter and to have like an expertise in things that i'm talking about so i am constantly reading constantly studying constantly analyzing um like i am definitely pushed to like really know what i'm talking about and i make decisions based on a lot of information and um just being smart and diligent and dedicated in how I process information and how I make decisions. Like, that's something where I want the people who work for me to appreciate that about me, because I do spend a ton of time making sure that like, the decisions that I'm making, and the things I'm doing are like, well grounded in research and hard work. Um, Think secondly, as someone who can balance like the, the, you know, the stressful nature of work, but like, it still is just work. Um, and we're not solving the world's problems. Um, <laughs> and you know, we're just giving people great clothes. So like, keep that in mind. And even when things get stressful and like, especially holiday season, when like, you know, everyone's reeling a million miles I like still have fun, um, and be someone people like being around, yeah. uh, and like working with and having fun at whatever you do. And I think I remember like kind of going back to like, a, you lose a little touch of that as you get, you know, I went from, I played. Football all throughout college, and you kind of get into the workforce, and in the workforce you start putting your head down, and like it's all about work, work, work. And I and I kind of go back to I remember like me on the football team, like you know I was the guy who like you know work you know was had the best work ethic, pushed myself all the time, um, you know was a really good performer, but was like had a ton of fun in the locker room, and you know had a you know was a guy people really wanted to be around. Uh, and I think like now running my company, like I want that to be the type of person that I am where, you know, work hard, get a lot done, do it at a really, really high level, but enjoy, enjoy the ride. It's
0: a good way to, good way to think about it. So, um, people can find you, you mentioned that you have a couple stores across the country, uh, can find you online and, um, in many different retail accounts across the country. So Nordstrom, Barney's, a couple others. Um, how can people stay in touch with you if they want to reach out just on Instagram, Twitter?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I'm on, um, I do my wife and I do our Instagram. So, um, direct message us on Instagram. That's the best way to, to get in touch. If you have, if you have any business questions, product questions, um, just shoot a DM and, uh, I'll answer it.
0: And that's That's at Faraday brand.
1: Yep. F A H E R T Y B R A N D. Um, and then we have on our website, you can kind of see our list of stockists. Um, we're in about 250, 250 accounts across, across the country, plus online, plus our seven retail stores. Um, so yeah, so, or you, or you may even get one of our catalogs by now since we've, uh, probably, we probably spammed you and I apologize.
0: No, that's the way it works. And you guys, you guys produce a great, great catalog. So to close out our rapid fire questions. Uh, just answer with the first thing that comes to mind, um, whatever that is for you. So, um, how many hours of sleep do you typically get a night? Uh, six to seven. What would you use the gene editing technology CRISPR for to change your own genes? And I'll give you, I'll give you a a cheating answer here. Um, if I, if I could do it, it would be, um, to not have to be able to sleep as much.
1: Yeah, mine is, um, when I get, when, when someone gives me like not positive, negative feedback, I sometimes go into fight mode and I can't stand that about myself.
0: <laughs> Excellent. What's your favorite fiction and nonfiction book?
1: My favorite, uh, nonfiction book is, uh, let my people go surfing by Yvonne Chouinard. Yep. My favorite fiction book is, I mean, my favorite book of all time you know, is like, uh, Tom Sawyer.
0: That's a pretty darn good book. What is your daily music playlist theme?
1: I'm in the folk folk rock right now, kind of going through that. So, um, head in the heart, Raylan Baxter, Lumineers, that whole genre.
0: Nice. Um, what is your wake up and wind down drink of choice?
1: Uh, wake up cup of coffee with half and half lots of half and a half. Nice. And then, uh, my wind down is a, uh, Casamigos Blanco with club soda and a splash of grapefruit juice.
0: Interesting. I don't think I've heard that before. Uh, what would your last meal be? Uh, Turkey
1: mashed potatoes, Thanksgiving dinner. Nice.
0: Uh, do you have any pet peeves? Uh, insecurity in yourself or in others? In others.
1: I just, I don't like, it's a trait I don't like. I don't love in
0: people. Other than this brand new podcast, which you probably haven't even heard yet because it just came out, what is your favorite podcast?
1: Uh, how I built this it's it's kind of the one i i've I've listened to every episode. It's just as an entrepreneur there's just so much I can get out of those
0: absolutely. How much of your monthly budget at home do you think you spend on Amazon? what percentage
1: it's small um I mean, living in New York, you have so many yeah, that's true. that gets things right next to you. So I would say it's 5%.
0: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, it's probably the lowest on of all the guests we've had on the podcast. Um, what TV show could you watch over and over again? Friday Night Lights. Yeah, there you go. Um, this is going to be a two-part question because you're a clothing entrepreneur. What is your favorite article of clothing that is not your own? And what is your favorite of your own?
1: Uh, so my favorite that I don't own are my, um, uh, Roan shorts, workout shorts.
0: Love Roan fellow, fellow founders, 15 guy and Nate's just an awesome human.
1: Yep. So, um, definitely my Roan shorts and my own product, um, are our, our all day shorts, which is like a bathing board short, short hybrid that I, I live in all the time.
0: Nice. Do you love or hate cardio? And surfing doesn't count as cardio. Uh,
1: I like it. I like it. I'm like, though, not like I'm a runner, but I'm like a two and a half mile runner, not a six mile runner.
0: (laughs) Me too. Um, Would you rather fight off one hundred duck sized horses or one horse sized duck?
1: One horse sized duck.
0: That's that. We're trending in that direction across the podcast guests. Favorite destination to travel? I think it's probably Bali, but I'm curious if that is of all the places you've been, is that your favorite destination?
1: Uh, yes. In the world, my favorite place in the U.S. is, um, North County, San Diego.
0: Beautiful. And last but not least, what is the best gift that you've ever received?
1: Um, I remember like happiest gift I ever got was at some point in my life, my parents got us an air hockey table
0: when we were kids (laughs) and it was the best. That's unforgettable for sure. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. You got a lot on your plate. I really appreciate it. Hope everybody learned a lot. Um, and it's just been so amazing to watch you guys and what you've built and have watched you from the beginning of, of building Mizen. And it's a thrill of mine to be able to talk to you. So thanks again. Cool. Thanks, Kevin. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and you can also go to founders15.com for show notes and other episodes. Thank you.